started a series last week that I called Thrive, where we're taking a look at Daniel and how to thrive in a culture of chaos or through a crisis of life. The book of Daniel starts off when he is 15 years old and he ends up at the end of the book being 85. And it is an amazing story. The background of his story is that the nation of Israel has fallen into deep spiritual decline. They have fallen into idolatry, immorality, and injustice. Now, if you think about those things, I think we would have to say that is true of the culture that we're in. And just like God was ticked at Israel, maybe God's ticked at us. But God in his compassion always sends people. God sent Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zephaniah and in essence said to them, hey guys, if we don't get our act together, guess what? We may lose our freedom. If we don't shape up, we may get shipped out. And that is exactly what happened in 586 BC. God allowed the most powerful empire in the world at that time, Babylonian empire, through King Nebuchadnezzar to devastate the country. They destroyed Jerusalem and they took 25% of the population off as POWs to Babylon. And they were there for 70 years. One of those that was carried off to Babylon, one of those POWs was Daniel. And like I said, he was a 15-year-old. He is now separated from his parents. He will never see his parents again. Think about that. His friends, his family, his homeland again. But the rest of his life was an amazing rags to riches story. He started off as a POW, but at the end of his life, he is the second most powerful person in the empire. He outlasted three administrations. He leads two of the three emperors to faith in God. At 85, he is called out of retirement to take on a problem and become second in command. This is an amazing story. And God gives us this story to help us know how we can thrive in a culture of chaos. How we can thrive when a crisis comes in our life. Today we're going to take a look at another test of faith because we're in the year of faith. Proverbs 17, verse 3 says this, Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Now, I want to give you a life principle. Will you write this down? Before every blessing, there is always a testing. The Lord tests hearts. He tests your heart. He tests your integrity. He tests your generosity. He tests your faithfulness. He tests your loyalty. He tests your character. And if you pass the test, guess what? You get promoted. And if you get promoted, he increases your influence. This is why the Apostle Paul got to speak and teach and heard from the Lord. Take a look at 1 Thessalonians 2.4. We speak God's message because God tested us and trusted us to do it. When we speak, we are trying to please people, but God, we, we are not trying to please people, but God who tests 
our hearts. Will you circle two words, tested and trusted. God tested and trusted. And Daniel's character was tested again and again and again and again. And with each test, he passed. You know what happened? God spoke to him more and more and more and more. God gave him insights that he has not given any other person in history except for the disciple John or the apostle John. Daniel and John are the only two guys in history that God told in time history to. Daniel predicted all kinds of things throughout history. He predicted the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. God spoke to him about the Messiah coming for the very first time. He reveals to him how the world is going to end. Why in the world did God do all that? Because God tested him. And he passed. And as a result, God trusted him with his secrets. Now let me give you another life principle. God tests us with stress before he trusts us with success. We're going to be talking more about this in the weeks to come. Last week we took a look at the first test of, of Daniel. And that is how do you handle chaos in your life? How do you thrive when something happens that you just weren't, aware, weren't expecting in one sense? And we talked about the five things that you need to learn when things are changing, when your life or culture is in chaos, or when you are in a crisis. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a different kind of test, the test of social pressure. And what I'm talking about here is when you and I are being pressured to conform to something that we know isn't right. Maybe by your boss or by the government or by a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, or, or some other peer in your life. You begin to feel the pressure to conform to the values of culture. This is what happened to Daniel. This king, King Nebuchadnezzar, takes these POWs and he moves them to Babylon. He picks the best of the best of the best. He picks the smartest ones. He picks the best good-looking ones. He picks the most gifted ones. Daniel was one of these. He's 15 years old, and he is going to be put through a three-year indoctrination of the culture. We are going to wipe out the memory of your faith. We're going to wipe out the memory of your country, Israel. We're going to wipe out the memory of your knowledge of the Bible. You're not going to need God at all. We're, we're, you're going to be a secular person. We're going to brainwash you. And then you're going to serve us. And if you're lucky, you're going to get promoted. And so they teach them a new language, a new culture, a new habits. They give them a new religion and they give them new names. Their, their Hebrew names are changed to Babylonian names of gods. Daniel's name in Hebrew meant God is my judge. He was given Belshazzar, which was the, the god of Bel who protects. Hananiah's name in Hebrew meant God is gracious. He was given the name Shadrach, the moon god. Michelle's name meant 
who is like God in Hebrew. But it was changed to Meshach, the God of fertility. As I, as Azariah's name in Hebrew meant God has helped me. It was changed to Abednego, the God of Nebo, of wisdom. They not only gave them new names, new identities, new clothes, but guess what? They also gave them a new diet. This is total indoctrination. This is total assimilation into this culture. And this is where we pick up the story. In Daniel chapter 1, verses 5 and 8. The king ordered that the young men should eat the same food and wine served at the king's table while they were being trained. After that, they were to become servants of the king of Babylon. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself by eating the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. What's going on here? Well, if you have ever trained for an athletic event, maybe mountain climbing or, or a marathon, you know that you just can't eat anything you want. You have to be on a strict diet. And so they are putting them on the best diet. They are putting them on the king's diet. And it sounds great, doesn't it? But Daniel refuses to go along with the program. He says, you know what? I'm not going to defile myself. Now, that word defile means to corrupt, to pollute, to contaminate, to lose purity. Let me give you a picture. Actually happened. You fill up a tub of water for your kids. You put them in. They're two years old. And what do boys do? They pee in it. It's just polluted. Sometimes when you would turn your back with two years old, there would be brown things floating in the water. Not a pretty sight. Okay, the, the, the tub water was corrupted, it was polluted, it was contaminated, it was less than pure. And Daniel is saying, I'm not going to defile myself. What in the world is going on here? What's wrong with the Babylonian food? What's the big deal? Why does this 15-year-old take on the most powerful empire in the world. Well, there's some reasons. There's some reasons that Daniel refused to conform to this culture. The first reason, I think, was for health reasons. The king's food really wasn't that healthy. It, it was kind of like junk food. And so Daniel was refusing it for physical reasons, for health reasons. I think another reason was for cultural and um, cultural and national reasons. God gave the nation of Israel strict dietary laws, kosher laws, because he wanted them to be different. He wanted them to be unique. The Jews were to be a unique, different people, not a better people, but a unique people that he would use to, to, to give the Ten Commandments, to give the Bible, to, to bring the Messiah. And he says to the nation, you need to never forget your uniqueness all the way down to your diet, kosher laws. And so Daniel says, guess what? I don't want to defile myself. And so there are physical or health reasons. There are cultural or national reasons. But let's talk about the food thing for a moment so I can set up 
what I believe is the real reason going on here. A couple of references about food. Take a look at 1 Timothy 4, 3 and 5. False teachers will order people to abstain from certain foods which God created, will you circle that, to be received with thanksgiving. For everything God created is good, will you circle that phrase. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is considered by the word of God because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. God says this through Paul. If God made it, you can eat it. Now understand, a Twinkie is not made by God. But a cow is. And God says, if I made it, it's good. Here's another important verse in this matter. Jesus said this, Matthew 15, 11, You are not defiled by what you eat. You are defiled by what you say and do. Does that make sense? It's not what goes inside of you that defiles you, but rather what comes out of you. And so Jesus is saying it's really about your attitude. And so Daniel could have eaten these things, but he refused to do so, or he protested in doing so, I believe for the third reason. And that is it was a spiritual attack on his identity. This is another attempt to reprogram him, to get him to forget God, to get him to forget his upbringing, to forget his country, to forget his heritage. In essence, they were saying to him, guess what? You are, going, you are not going to be who God made you to be. It's a test. And Daniel passed the test. And he passed the test because of four major character qualities in his life. And when you possess these four major character qualities in your life, you too will be promoted. So what were they? Well, the first one is integrity. And will you write this down? He never forgot who he was. He said, you know what, you can change my address, you can change my name, you can change my clothes, but you are not going to change my heart. I have resolved not to defile myself. I am not going to be conformed to the values of this culture. Now Paul talks about this in Romans 12, verse 2. Don't conform yourself to the values of this world. Instead, let God transform you by the complete change of how you think. Then you will be able to know the will of God. Paul says there are two choices that you and I have. We can either be conformed or we can be transformed. If you conform, you will be like everyone else in this world. You will walk the same, you will talk the same, you will look the same, and you will smell the same. You will either be conformed to the world or you will be transformed by the word. And if you are transformed by the word, you will hear the secrets of God for your life. I talk to people all the time who say, you know what, I just don't know God's will for my life. I don't know God's purposes for me. Could it be because you are conformed to the world? 
You are more interested in being like everyone else than being the unique person that God has designed you to be. You are worrying about conforming instead of being concerned about transforming. And as a result, you don't hear the will of God. God, Daniel doesn't allow the culture to change who he is. The second quality is discipline. And will you write this down? He controlled his ego and his appetite. Take a look at Daniel 1.8. Daniel made up his mind not to eat the food and wine given to them by the king. Daniel shows tremendous discipline in spite of the great temptation that he is facing. And think about this. What if you were a 15-year-old and your parents were not around? They're nowhere to be found. There's no parental supervision going on. And culture offers up to you some perks from someone who's the most powerful empire in the world. They offer perks of power and prestige and position. Could you handle it? Unfortunately, a lot of younger ones can't. And we've heard stories like this, have we not? Some young adult gets offered a position on a professional sports team. And they get all the perks with it. And they can't handle it. They get wrapped up in drug, sex, and rock and roll. They go to jail. And eventually they get kicked off the team. Daniel is an incredible, dis disciplined 15-year-old, especially without his parents being around. He says, guess what? I'm going to serve God because he's the one who made me and put me here. I am not going to be indebted to this culture. I am not going to be indebted to you, Nebuchadnezzar. I am not going to be conformed by you. I am not going to be subservient to my God, to you. I'm not going to allow that to happen. You can give me all the perks in the world that you want. I am not going to forget who God made me to be. This is an amazing amount of maturity for a 15-year-old. Folks, I know some adults who don't have this kind of maturity. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Paul talks in Romans 6, 13. Do not let any part of your body become a tool for wickedness used for sinning. Instead, give yourself completely to God because you want to be a tool in the hands of God used for his good purposes. This is a decision that Daniel made. He says, I want to be used by God. I don't want to be used up by my culture, where I might be a hero one minute and then a zero the next. No, I want to be transformed by God because I want to hear the secrets, God's will for my life. The third thing that we see in Daniel's life that if you and I possess, guess what? God will promote is this courage. And will you write this down? He was willing to stand alone. Folks, it took courage 
for him to stand alone against the most powerful man in the world, to ask for an exemption from the diet. And so Daniel says, you know, I, I just can't eat this. I, I'm a conscientious objector here. What made this, what made this so challenging for, for Daniel was that he did it basically alone. Yes, he had his three friends. That was good. But remember, there are thousands and thousands of POWs that caved in to the chaos of culture and who ate. Daniel, what are you doing? Everybody's doing it. It's okay. And Daniel said, I don't care. I'm not going to do it. He has the courage, and he is willing to stand alone, and he is willing to say, you know what? The majority is wrong here. It's wrong. History has shown, has it not, that the majority is often wrong. Just because the majority likes a certain value and passes a certain law in our culture that says it's okay to murder a baby outside the womb from a failed abortion, does not make it right. Just read Psalms 139. What's right is right, and what's wrong is wrong. And we don't get to decide that. We can take a poll, and that's where our morals come from. There are mores of society that are determined by polls. Well, 63% of the people are for this. That doesn't make it right. God decides what's right. And Daniel says, I don't care what other people are doing. That's the kind of courage we need. Take a look at Exodus 23, verse 2. Never follow the crowd in doing wrong. And don't be swayed in your testimony by the mood of the majority. How many times have we found ourselves around the watering hole at work and a topic matter comes up? And we know that it's wrong, but we remain silent. We, we went along to get along. We, we were manipulated by the mood of the majority. And so our story didn't get out. Daniel spoke up. And because he did, God promoted him. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 16, 33. Stand true to what you believe. Be courageous. Be strong. We need more men and women of courage today who will say, you know what? Wrong is not right, and right is not wrong. Truth is truth, and what is untrue will always be untrue. This, is, this test, next one, reveals the fourth quality of Daniel. And it's this, humility. And will you write this down? He was tactful with, with authority. When he couldn't do what authority asked, he, he said, this is against my morals. This, is, this, this works against my conscience. I, I can't do this. He's still, and in doing this, he is being tactful with authority, showing his humility. And the way that Daniel appeals to authority shows his respect for authority. Because Daniel knew that God was in on this thing of allowing 
the Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, King Nebuchadnezzar, to come in and do what he did. And he knew that. And so he was humble, and yet he was respectful. Some of you have had bad bosses. Guess what? God allowed them for your good. Some of you are going to have some bad bosses who are going to ask you to do some things that aren't honest. And you need to know when that happens how to make an appeal. Here's what the Bible says about this. In Daniel 1, 8 through 16. Then Daniel asked, then Daniel asked chief officials for permission. Stop right there. Notice that he doesn't demand. He doesn't come up and say, well, I've got my rights. No, he asks for permission to eat other things instead. Now, God had given the chief official great respect for Daniel. Stop right there. Here, this is a 15-year-old guy. And he's all ready to gain the respect of his peers and his superior. But he said, that is this chief official, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who ordered that you eat his food and wine. And if you aren't as healthy as the others, I fear the king will have me beheaded. Now stop right there. That's a legitimate concern, right? I, I, personally, I don't think this official cared one way or the other whether he ate or didn't eat. But he didn't want to lose his head. That's a legitimate fear, okay? So next, Daniel talked it over. It was a discussion and not a demand. So next, Daniel talked it over with the guard appointed to look after Daniel and his three friends. Daniel offered a suggestion in humility. Just test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water and then see how healthy we look compared to the young men eating the king's food. Then you can decide whether or not to let us continue eating our diet. He leaves it up to authority. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked healthier and better nourished than any others in the king's tra training program. So after the guard let them eat, so after that, the guard let them eat their own food. When the three-year training program was completed, all the young men were brought to King Nebuchadnezzar, who talked with each one individually. None impressed the king as much as Daniel and his three friends. So they were each promoted to positions in the king's service. Will you circle the word promoted? This is the first promotion of Daniel. And there are four, five others that are coming his way in his lifetime. And he got promoted, never compromising his integrity, his convictions. Folks, he is not surviving in the culture. What are you supposed to do, Pastor George? No, he's thriving. And after three years of cultural indoctrination, he's 18 years old. He is a young man, and he gets his first promotion. Now let's stop here. What do you do when someone in authority is asking you to violate your conscience, who, who, that you know is wrong, that's disobedient. It's a test. Esther faced this test. 
with the king. Joseph faced this test with Pharaoh. Paul faced this test with the Roman Empire. And now Daniel faced this test. How do you make a case to authority that is pressuring you to compromise your convictions? Especially in a society that is becoming more and more and more secular, more anti-Christian. People need to know how to make an appeal to authority. So let me give you six things. And parents, grandparents, write these down. First thing is this. Develop a reputation for responsibility. Daniel, in a short period of time, stood out. His character stood out. His integrity stood out. His, his conscience stood out. His, his loyalty stood out. Will you write down Proverbs twenty two twenty nine? I didn't have enough space on the outline for this. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. I'll read it. If you do your job well, leaders will notice and you will serve before kings. Serving before kings is a promotion. So will you write this down? People with great responsibility notice people who are responsible. Number two, be humble and not belligerent. Be humble and not belligerent. Truly what I am teaching you right now is how to make a case to an authority, not how to make a demand. And your attitude will determine your acceptance. Daniel doesn't go to him and protest with a sign. I demand my rights. I want to eat healthy food. No. Will you, will you write down Proverbs 25, verse 6? It says, when you stand before the king, don't try to impress him and pretend to be important. Be humble and not belligerent. The third thing. Don't be deceptive or manipulative. If you've got a case to make to an authority, you say, and be honest, you know what, this violates my conscience. I, I can't do this. This is, this is morally wrong for me. If you try to strengthen your position through deception, God will not honor it. And he will let you handle it yourself. Write down 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. We reject all shameful and underhanded methods like office politics. We do not try to trick anyone and we do not distort the word of God. In other words, we keep our integrity. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest. And, and all who are honest know that. The fourth thing, will you write this down? Appeal to their goals and interests. You start with what they want and not what, what, what you want. This is what Daniel does, and he is wise for doing that. He says, you know what? I think we have the same goal. Could we possibly approach it from a different angle? I, I know you want me to be healthy, and I want to be healthy. I, we just disagree on how to get there. Could we have this 10-day test and see if it'll work. And if it does, hey, it's a win-win situation, right? The fifth thing is choose the right place 
and time and words. If you are a teenager in the big house, this is how you make a case to your parents, okay? The first thing you do is you choose the right place. Where's that? Privately. Then you choose the right time. What time is that? When they're not tired, when they're not distracted, when they're not hungry. And then you choose the right words. Write down Proverbs 16, verse 21. A wise, mature person is known for his understanding. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. You and I are never persuasive when we're abrasive. And then finally, you trust God if they reject your appeal. If you've made the appeal and they have rejected it, then you hold on to the promises of God. Write down Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works together for good for those who love the Lord and have been called according to his purpose. I am convinced that if the authorities would have said no, Daniel would have said okay. And he would have held on to the promises of God and God would have still promoted him. But Daniel does all the right things. And as a result, he gets an exemption from the king's diet. And he doesn't violate his conscience. And remember this. He is a 15-year-old taking on the most powerful empire in the world. What gave Daniel the courage to stand alone like that, to not conform to the chaos of culture that he was in, to the values of Babylon. But will you write this down? David, or Daniel, lived in close relationship with the Lord. He walked with the Lord. He had godly friends. He had the promises of God in his heart. He knew of the power and the protection of the Lord. And that enabled him in those things to be fearless. So let me say this. At some point in time in your life, as society becomes more secular, you will have to make a stand. And as you do, you too need to remember your walk with the Lord. You need to remember, first of all, that Jesus is with you. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You need to remember that he has given you the Holy Spirit. That he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You need to remember the promises of God. They are like anchors to our soul. And you need to remember that there is a church. You need to remember your small group. And this is what helps to have courage. But where did this teenager get this courage? To get this grace, to get this wisdom, to get this kind of discipline. Only one place. His parents. He got it from his parents. They did an incredible job, did they not? To help him to be the man, the young man that he was, that God wanted him to be. It was his parents. 
They built the character, the integrity, the discipline, the convictions. And they did this all by the age of 15. And as a result, he was able to stand up against that culture. Today, I want us to watch a video of Logan, one of our students, a student of the Wheelers, Shane and Shauna, who found himself in a compromising situation and yet chose to do the right thing. Take a look at this. Hi, I'm Logan Wheeler. I go to Plano Senior High and I'm a junior. I was dating this girl for three months and we've done some things that I'm not very proud of. But after two months, maybe I realized that it's wrong and that I probably shouldn't be doing it. So I kind of talked to a couple of pastors after D-Now and friends and they helped me guide through with that situation and really helped it open my eyes to what I need to do to become closer to um, God. When I first shared Christ with her, we were in our car, and I just kind of talked about my story, how I grew up in the church, always claimed to be Christian, but never really acted as it. After D-Now, the pastor Andre, he really spoke to me, and it kind of opened my eyes to it. And that's when I knew I had to talk to her and share Christ with her so maybe we could get the relationship to work. But she was against it. She never really wanted to do it. She went to church, but never really wanted to pursue him because she didn't like the things she'd have to do. We had dinner, and after we ate dinner, I brought up the situation about how I wanted to start doing the relationship. It was tough. It was a tough conversation to have. I didn't have all the answers. I didn't know what to say at certain times. She wasn't completely against it, but she didn't want to go that direction. She wanted to do those things since she was young and had no religion, and she thought it was perfectly fine to do those things. But I feel God actually helped me through that situation and gave me words to say. After talking to Andre a couple times, he brought up the fact that the temptation's gonna be a lot, even though we might get past this. And she still wanted to do those things, so I, I really thought about it. I was like, yeah, the temptation is very strong, and I don't think I'm gonna be able to hold out much longer, so I had to end the relationship with her. And it was a very hard thing to do, because I really liked this girl, but it's just not the direction I needed to go in in my time of life. The situation taught me that I need to have close Christian friends to help guide through situations like this, and how a strong faith can really help you get to where you need to go in life. Absolutely. You see, teenagers aren't the only ones that need this message. We all do. We live in a culture that is becoming more and more secular, more and more hostile towards people of faith, more unbiblical, more anti-Christian. And the pressure to conform is becoming greater and greater and greater and greater. And how you and I respond will determine whether God will promote us, whether we will be able to truly hear the, the, the secrets that God has for our life and the advancement of God's kingdom. I want to close with a portion in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul says this, don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that is exactly what we are, each of us, a temple in whom God lives. God himself put it this way, I will live in them 
and move in them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. So leave the corruption and compromise. I'll be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. With promises like this, dear friends, let's make clean break with everything that defiles or distracts us, both within and without. Let's make our entire lives fit and holy, fit and holy temples for the worship of God. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we come before you today and we thank you for Daniel's life that that leads the way in helping us to understand how not just to survive in a culture that is in chaos or through the crises of life, but that we can thrive as we remember our relationship with you, that you are with us, that you are in us, that you have given us your word, promises that are anchors to our soul, and that as we link arms with others who are like-minded, God, I thank you for these things. And I pray for us, God, as a people, that we would never forget our true identity of who you have made us to be, your children, sons of the living God, co-heirs with Christ Jesus. And may our walk and our talk, may our looks and our actions be different, not in a weird way, God. May we be culturally relevant, but may our lives be as magnets that draw people to you. So God, we look to you to fortify our faith that this might be true in our generation. So we lift this up to you. In your son's precious name we pray.